not like once you sell the company, it's over, right? You're still sitting with your feelings and you're still sitting with these things that you're battling with. It doesn't end, right? And it's just a good reminder of if it doesn't end, then you have to actually make good with what you have now, right? Because these feelings of what you have now, it's not going to get fixed when you have something external that happens to you. And so you have to work on the internal now. Welcome to The Wild Show with your hosts, Will Chang, Lee Chang, and Andrew Su. I'm Will Chang, and as always, I have my co-hosts Lee Chang and Andrew Shu with me. Hey, boys. What's up? Good to be here. So it's been a while since we last done one of these episodes. We actually haven't really released an episode for a while now, mainly just because I've been psychologically stuck. We had a really great interview with the mayor of Bellevue in 2012. He was a Chinese-American, born in China. He spent two hours with us. I've been trying to figure out how to basically publish this story because he did a really good job, but it's going to take a lot of editing, basically. And I stuck with it. It's like basically every single day, I was like, okay, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on it. I just didn't work on it. And then finally, I was like, okay, what can make it easy? And I just ended up just sending it to the editor yesterday and just say, okay, let's see what he can do with it first. And then we can figure it out from there. I think that's my way to move forward. And then this episode here is just another way for me to just continue to pick back the pieces after we've been on a one-month hiatus. So welcome, guys. It's quite the, quite the welcome back. I think I'm more interested, how come you didn't share that you were having trouble earlier versus you doing it on your own and then shipping it off? Yeah, I tend to do that. <laughs> I should have said something. Why do you do that? So basically, I'll carry it. I'll carry it. It's my thing. And I feel like I know I need to do it and I know I can do it. And then I just put it off. I just procrastinate. And yeah, I've been doing that for a while. Yes. So let's dive into Will's psyche here. Is this also <laughs> something that is a pattern in your day-to-day, in your career, even with friends and family? You know what's crazy is our last episode, or one of the last episodes, we had Darren on. And Darren talked about how he had a child, one of his sons had ADHD. And then it wasn't until his son was diagnosed with ADHD until he realized he had ADHD. And then once he realized he had ADHD, his life made sense. And there's all these like points of like shame that he had. He could basically point to and say, okay, actually, it wasn't like my laziness, but it was my ADHD. And I had a couple of experiences like that, where Darren kind of gave me something to think about. Another person as well, she has ADHD, and she was having conversations with my wife. And my wife was basically telling her about some of the things that I go through. And she was like, yeah, Will has bipolar. And then this girl was like, a lot of times bipolar also, like people think they have bipolar when they really have ADHD. And I thought about it and I was like, I haven't had any bipolar symptoms ever since I met Claudine. So maybe it isn't bipolar. Maybe it is ADHD. And I started basically thinking about ADHD and specifically inattentive ADHD. And I started realizing like, oh shit, I think I have ADHD. There's so many moments in my life, school, like all this stuff like that. Just I had a lot of trouble. I could never take any notes. So I would sit in class and I would say, today's the day where I take notes. And then when I start writing a couple of sentences, like a couple of words, and then all of a sudden, the bell rings, and then class is over, and I've only written a couple of words. That happened to me throughout my life. My backpack was a mess. There's like a lot of things. I would borrow people's pencils because I forgot to bring my own pencil, and then I would lose them. I couldn't ask that person again. And then I would ask this person, hey, can I borrow your pencil? And I would lose them. So just things like that. And I just thought like, that was just like, a, there's something wrong with me. Even my brother, during my wedding, my brother would basically say, Will's really smart, but he's also really dumb. And he would just point out all these different dumb things that I did. For example, like, I went to go to get my marriage license with Claudine. And then we were supposed to meet at the same time at the courthouse. 
And then I get to the courthouse and then I'm like, she's not here. Like where she's, she's late. If she's late, then she's not going to make it. Right. And then I ask her where she's at. She's like, I'm at the courthouse. And I realized I'm at the wrong courthouse. <laughs> I'm at a courthouse across the city and we can never make it because we're at the wrong <laughs> courthouse. So I just realized a lot of little things like that. I just thought I was like a weird person, but I'm realizing, okay, maybe that's ADHD. I was thinking back, okay, there's a huge reason why I have my own company is because I can't actually work. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm starting to realize is I actually can't work. I can't be given a task and I can't keep do tasks over and over and over again. And so, so I created a situation for myself where I didn't have to do that. And that's kind of the reason why I have my own company. I'm just realizing right now that maybe it's because ADHD. I went to one of uh, Darren's Breakfast of Champions recently, like last week. I saw him a couple of weeks ago and I told him that I think I have ADHD. And he basically was like, it's actually a strength. It's a superpower. There are certain things that I'm really good at or I'm able to do that other people aren't able to do is maybe because of ADHD. I can take crazy amounts of risk or I can start things. I can delegate really well, things like that. But I can't do a lot of other things. Claudine just had a conversation with me last night. It was like, you need to basically start finishing things. You can't just cook and then just leave everything like, in the middle of it. And then you know, like, I, I do a lot of that type of stuff. So I need to work on that, like life skills. But yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Oh, hold on. We got to see with this topic because I'm just fascinated <laughs> because I thought when you had told us that you had been diagnosed as bipolar, admittedly, I don't know all the nuances and the main difference, but can you... Talk a bit more about what the symptoms or so you thought of being diagnosed as bipolar are versus ADHD. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the reason why I got diagnosed as bipolar is because I self-diagnosed myself and then I basically fed the information to this psychiatrist. And so what bipolar, there's like type one and type two. Type one is the normal one and type two is the one where it's really serious. I thought I had type one and type one is basically like you have manic modes where you just feel like you can do anything, you're super confident, you can focus really well, you're just like overconfident. And then on the other side, there's like depression is basically you can't really get out of bed. It's like a mood disorder, right? You can't control, there's like a problem with your dopamine levels. And then so you can't actually control your mood. And that's what I thought I had, especially because before I met Claudine, I was in a long distance relationship, didn't see my girlfriend or fiance for, I only saw her like two, three times a year for eight years. And then I was doing the company thing and then it was really rough. So there's like a lot of different factors there. So that's what I thought it was, but it could also be just like the shame cycle as well. It's very similar almost, the ups and downs of ADHD. It's interesting. I mean, based on what you said, I would think I have both bipolar <laughs> and ADHD because I do a lot of stupid shit. And sometimes <laughs> I can't get out of bed. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, I don't know enough about it. I feel like it's one of those things that you hear a lot, people being diagnosed as ADHD, but the inability to concentrate would, would be what I had thought would be one of the main issues or it's actually not the ability to concentrate it's the ability to choose what you concentrate on mm. if you really are into something if you're really interested in something then you can concentrate on that forever like you can't even hear anybody you can really zone in if you have something that you're not interested in then your attention will go somewhere else and so yeah that's mainly what it, and there's different types of adhd there's the hyperactive which is you can't even sit still and there's the inattentive one where you can actually sit very still and you kind of daydream the one I think I have. Hmm. So you could either multitask very well or you cannot multitask at all. It's like you can multitask, but you will never end up back to where you started, if that makes any sense. Unless you have, if you're religious about like a to-do list, because you'll just never remember that Claudine found my salt and pepper shakers in the fridge last night. 
because I was cooking it somehow <laughs> in the fridge. I can't say I did that before. <laughs> <laughs> so based on this new kind of potential realization, how are you going to try to combat that? Or are you going to go to try to seek professional opinion? I need to step up for Claudine. Number one is like, I have to work on certain things, whether it's being able to cook, be able to clean, those type of things. Especially as we think about kids, I need to basically start stepping up and working on those things more religiously. And the second is also, I have to accept who I am as well. And I have to accept what I'm good at. And it's okay, honestly, if I can't get this thing done, because I should just probably find someone to do it for me. Because I've kind of created a situation where that can that's easy. And so I just need to not be ashamed I can't do certain tasks. I can just delegate that out. Yeah. I actually want to, so the ADHD piece, I think it is a superpower. I just hit up a friend who also has it to check with her if it's the same thing, if it feels the same to her. And she said it does. And so it's amazing because you take whatever you're into and she's literally said times bazillion of what she's into, or she has to hack whatever she's doing to try and find some interest point because otherwise it's terrible. And so she's been like dealing with it. And so I think it is a superpower. Basically, I was going to check. So how much of you being comfortable running a show and sharing so much do you think is due to ADHD? I've never even thought about that. Because you just shared some really personal stuff just now that doesn't phase you whatsoever. And I yeah. think that, that I'd be like, well, I don't know if I'm going to share that. I mean, I've never even thought about that. I do feel like I have a maybe like a tolerance for risk or tolerance for perception that people that maybe not everyone finds comfortable, but I don't know. I honestly feel like the more you share, the better it is for everyone. There's a point in time where I didn't share and I basically carried everything on my own and I almost killed myself. It was 9 p.m. and I was walking outside my house. I have so much anxiety and I just wanted to end it. So I stepped in front of a car as the car was moving in front of me. Something in the back of my head was like, my parents are going to be sad and I stepped back on the sidewalk. And then oh shit, that was weird. And then I basically went out and t- told my brother, my other co-founder, Tyler, about what happened. And then I took like a month off, try to figure out what the fuck just happened. And yeah, there was like a falling out with a lot of different things. So after that point, I started telling everyone about how I was feeling, including my co-founders, my parents, everyone around me. And then just a lot of the stories that I had in my own head, like just weren't true. And I was carrying a lot of weight that wasn't even mine to carry. And I just realized that a lot of it was maybe ego, where I was just holding on to this stuff, but it wasn't very helpful to anybody. And I think since then, I share. I think it's helpful for other people to hear. I think it's helpful for myself to be open about it. That's yeah, this was actually on our beautiful second episode. Yeah, I mean, it's well. amazing that you're willing to share that even. I'll just comment that I think you sharing, I think, makes everyone else around also more willing to share. I think that's a superpower. And... Having it described as that, meaning it could even save yourself in terms of sharing is uh, not a perspective I've heard before. Darren has been a really big role model of mine. And I've sat down with him. We had lunch and I was telling him my own entrepreneurial journey and all the stuff that I went through and kind of like my own whatever, right? And then he also shared his stuff, right? He's like 10 years older than I am. He's where I want to be from a business perspective from net worth perspective, family perspective, network perspective. He's built this amazing community. He last breakfast champion. It seemed like they were really good friends, actual real friends. The attorney general of California, Rob Bonta, he's so connected with everyone. And he was sharing his stuff, right? 
and what he went through. And even today, when I see him, he's made it. He still has stuff, right? He's still going through his own stuff today. Just understanding that no matter where you're at, you're still going to have stuff. And so you can't ever get rid of that stuff. You just have to figure out how to accept that you're always going to have stuff. You could have hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever, and you can still have stuff, right? The money isn't going to fix it. I really appreciate him a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to echo what Andrew was saying. I think to me, that kind of kicked off a lot of self-reflection. Like we talked about it. I was going to say we talked about it in our second episode where I interviewed you, Will. And I think that that also opened, at least not just for myself, I think for a lot of our listeners that we start growing at that point, allowing people to be okay with talking about heavy topics like that. And still a rarity. I mean, I was just chatting with a friend earlier about some of his family dynamics. And it's really hard. A lot of it's generational. And we are kind of lucky to be kind of in this cross section of millennial slash this somewhat younger, more, I don't want to say woke, but I think having the tools and also the interest and openness for self-introspection and self-help and growth. So I think that part of the inspiration for me of continuing to do this podcast is interviewing people like you, people we bring on, like Darren, that inspires us and then hopefully others, right? And that's impetus for me. One of the things that I've been working on is trying to figure out how to build community. And so the reason why I ended up reaching out to Darren in the first place is because I had already started putting events together. And so the next event is going to be, I think, my ninth event. But every month I put it on an event. At first, it was like six to eight people. I mean, it was just lunch. And then we did some activities. And then over like the iterations, it's gotten more ambitious. Maybe three months ago, we had our friend Joe Choi, who's a podcast guest of ours, teach maybe like 15 guys how to shoot guns outdoors. And then we did a 10-mile hike and then a bungee jumping event. There's six, uh, six guys that came out to that. Most recently, we had a go-karting event. And then I try to incorporate some of what Darren's like breakfast champions where there's more vulnerability and connection. It's still a work in progress. I didn't get it right because there wasn't enough downtime. But basically what I did was there were 17 of us, so 16 participants, including myself, and I broke it down into four groups of four. And then each team had a team leader that had gone to a lot of our events. And I try to have each team leader facilitate the conversation and so that everyone can get to know each other. And then also have questions. It was like, what are you most excited about? What are you struggling with? And what are you really into? I think those are the questions. And then basically had people kind of talk to each other and, and get to know each other. It was actually really cool because I got to bring in some people I didn't know that well, including Kevin, who's the founder of EMI. He got to meet some of my really close friends. I've gotten to know him over time now. So another guy, Steve, who's also an FF, he's actually really into what I was doing because he's building it on his own. And he's really into the whole connection piece, the vulnerability piece. How do we get to know each other really well? Because as guys, we don't really talk much, right? And so how do we actually really get to know each other? And he's been trying to help me think about ways that we can really kind of dig into that men's group portion of it where we can connect on the real shit. I realized that my events have been just basically a lot of just activities. And now that the groups are getting big, it's just fun things, but it's not really that meaningful. I'm trying to make them a little bit more meaningful each time. I'm working on basically trying to build meaning and build connection somehow and allow people to kind of share what they're actually going through. Dude, that sounds amazing. I mean, I would love to attend one soon in the future. So is it, you were saying that the next time if you were going to kind of improve on this and iterate would be to create more downtime or space for people to actually engage in conversation? Is that kind of like the next goal? So the next request is paintballing. So we're going to do a paintball event. I don't know how much downtime we'll have. But I mean, also are you doing like a lunch or dinner after maybe? Yeah, so we do have lunch. We have like, uh-huh. maybe like a two hour lunch afterwards. But even then, it's hard to get people to share. 
I still haven't figured out, and maybe it's because it was our first event. People are still just getting used to it. So people are kind of service level. They're not really sharing like their real shit. I haven't figured out how to create that culture and environment yet. Maybe it's not paintballing. Maybe paintball is just like a fun activity. And then every other, we have a place where that's not into it can go, but people that can go just have like a lunch or a breakfast where we actually share. And then maybe every other, do an activity and then you get to know each other better. And do an, I don't know yet, but I'm thinking maybe something along those lines. I'm trying to figure it out still. I mean, have you prefaced this with the attendees beforehand? I mean, you gave them like kind of agenda. So right? I had the team leaders reach out to their team members saying, hey, the goal here is we're trying to get to know each other better. These are the questions that I'm going to try to ask you. I did have that. I kind of stepped out of it, right? I delegated, right? So I delegated basically team leaders to kind of run their own pods. And then so each one kind of ran a little bit differently, but I'm still kind of, kind of trying to figure out how to dial that in. Yeah. I think there's two facets that need to be or would really help. So I think one is the leader actually sharing and going by example, because opening with a question, you can dodge questions and it's intimidating versus if somebody has already shared. That's just noticing even from like this conversation just now. We kicked off this podcast with a set of questions that none of us wanted to answer. And then because you already started sharing well, I think it opens it up. The other thing is I'll say is we've been starting to test different groups here in New York, but it's less all men and definitely more couples. I've got different men's groups here as well. But big thing I see with guys is uh, you build trust over doing things. And so what I mean by that is I think also if you just kept throwing events, the set of guys who see each other all the time, they'll eventually get to that point. Or those groups that are there all the time, you can seed them and they'll tip a lot faster. So something about trust, basically, in terms of there's different formal men's groups that can encourage the conversations, but I think people know what they're getting when they go into them, right? There's an understanding it's like an eight-week program. It's a 12-week program. There's this commitment. Don't come in if you don't commit, right? Or the one-off conferences you've been to well, you know while you're there. You have trust in the organization, right? Versus an invite to an event has a little less permanence for kind of being comfortable. So I'm more throwing out facets in terms of potential levers you can switch, right? That kind of fit into the next piece of what you're seeing. Yeah, you're right. In terms of the sharing, Darren does it so well. I went to a Breakfast Champions with him and then I just happened to be at his table when they were going through it and he, his first one, and then he does such a good job. I've seen that happen there. We had a dinner with a bunch of guys, my friends, because I'm trying to recruit for FF. So I brought my friends, Darren was there. And then once Darren talked, then everyone was so much more comfortable and they started being themselves. It's kind of crazy what Darren's able to do. Yeah. Wait, amazing. So I can't have you share what Darren would share because that's private. But can you break apart? How does he share? I'll cover it a little bit more broadly. Okay, let's just say the dinner, he talked about Breakfast of Champions and then someone asked him, hey, what's an example of one of the themes, right? And so one of the themes that he had was the Otani deal had just been signed. It's like $700 million. Otani basically deferred $680 million after 10 years, right? So Otani's only getting paid $2 million a year for 10 years. And then he's deferring $680, $680 million of that for after 10 years, right? And no other player, baseball player, would ever do that. But he's willing to do that. Why? Because he wants to win, right? And so there's this question of net worth versus self-worth, right? What is your net worth versus what is your self-worth and what are you trying to prioritize and what do you care about that conversation? So he went into right now at this point of his life, he's in the middle of selling one of his companies and then there's an earnout period. And because there's an earnout period, now he has to basically prioritize 
the work of working for somebody else in order to get that earnout, right? He has another company that he really loves and has this passion, and that's where he gets his self-worth from. But he has to shut down that self-worth business in order to prioritize his net worth. So right now he's prioritizing his net worth and it doesn't feel good to him, right? And so he was just kind of talking about that. And then from like a younger person's perspective, my brother, for example, right? So me and my brother are in this game when we're trying to sell a company at some point. And we watch him and we're like, hey, man, you're kind of sitting where we want to be. And you're talking about all the things that you're going through. And we're like, man, even at that point, you're feeling like this, right? It's not like once you sell the company, it's over, right? You're still sitting with your feelings and you're still sitting with these things that you're battling with. It doesn't end, right? And it's just a good reminder of if it doesn't end then, you have to actually make good with what you have now, right? Because these feelings of what you have now, it's not going to get fixed when you have something external that happens to you. And so you have to work on the internal now. And this goes back to what Darren recommended after the podcast, Darren recommended to read The Surrender Experiment. And I've had the world worse in mysterious ways. Not only did Darren recommend that, but I had another friend who recommended a podcast of Michael Singer, the author. I've been listening to that too. And the whole concept has very Buddhist roots, but the whole concept is like, we're all not okay on the inside. And we do all these things on the outside and create all this thrashing activity on the outside in order for us to make ourselves feel okay on the inside, right? Whether it's achievement or whether it's relationship or whatever it is, we're trying to create all this activity on the outside in order for ourselves to feel okay on the inside. But if we are not okay on the inside, then whatever we do on the outside will never make us feel okay on the inside. And all it's creating is this gap between your expectations of what you want or what you desire or what you think should be and what reality is. And this gap creates suffering. And so the only way to be okay is first be okay on the inside first. And all that other external things will fall away. And so you have to basically accept your reality and come as is, and then just be okay on the inside and everything else follows. Yeah. Yeah. I got a huge benefit from that book as well in reading it to the point where the new inside struggle that I'm having is I actually think I'm doing a pretty good job at surrendering. I think you've seen it well, because we talk about my company all the time. And now it's like, it's fine. I feel like I'm losing ambition. That's the weird thing that I'm struggling with. Because if I'm like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> like It's just completely different from what old competition or goals feel like. And it's very confusing. And that's what you were asking about coaching. Like I'm surrendered in the fact that none of the paths that I've seen have resonated with me. Tell us more about coaching. What does that coaching mean? What is your journey with coaching? Why are we talking about coaching? I guess because I'm coaching your PMs <laughs> at your company. And I don't know if it counts, but I'd say I'm coaching you a bit. But I call that we're talking through life. I don't think we're coaching. Like I recently listened to a pod that I think you might have sent me. And it's just talking about, you don't talk about that you work for someone, right? Coaching feels too authoritative. We've talked through things. I tell stories because I've been probably ahead in certain aspects. And I try and create ideas to like unblock people. Right. And so I guess for the team, it's different. I've like literally done, I've struggled so much with what they've done before. So that might be a little bit more potentially prescriptive versus for like what you and I talk about. It's just clearing someone's mind, organizing it and helping them kind of choose what they feel like doing. Maybe it feels so normal to me that I don't know how to like name it. All right. Let me back up a little bit. I feel like I need to tell your story a little bit better. So we have a podcast guest, James, and James is a Brazilian Chinese guy who during COVID became the largest vaccine distributor in Southern California. 
and he's built some amazing pharmacy businesses. And me and Andrew and James had a weekly call. And James at that time was like really stressed out. He couldn't sleep. He only slept two hours a night. He had a bunch of different things on his mind, a lot of different conflicts. And then I just saw Andrew basically surgically dissect all his thoughts, pull them all out, and then helped him build it back up so it all made sense and he could fully act on it. And it was incredible to watch. And I was like, Andrew, you have a gift. And Andrew loved it. And then James still to this day is like, man, Andrew basically changed my life. My entire business is different now. I have so much more free time. I know what I need to focus on. My life is completely different because of those talks that we had every week. And Andrew was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to do this for other people. He's been doing this for his friends. I don't know which friends, but I know he's been doing this for his friends in New York, but he's also been doing this for me as well. So we have, me and Andrew have weekly sessions where I basically will ask him for help. I've also asked Andrew to help fix my company too, because there's a lot of process stuff and there's a lot of product stuff that I'm just not good at. And some of our team members, they're incredibly talented, but they don't have the experience and Andrew's been basically coaching them into product leaders. And so what Andrew is basically surrendering to is this love for coaching. And I think it's taken you on a lot of different paths through coaching, right? You are coaching multiple people, right? Organically. Before you continue, Andrew, I just got to say, that was an amazing setup, Will. And Andrew, you suck at sharing. So now you got to tell us more. It sounds freaking amazing what you're doing. So, I mean, don't set yourself short and don't be shy about sharing what you're doing. It's not selling yourself short because I don't have anything to compare to, right? There's no competition for this. That's a fake market. And this ability to coach or whatever it is, is because I had to figure it out for myself, right? Because I had to be able to get through my own thoughts because the anxiety and different things were so bad that I know how to move forward. Therefore, I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to market it because it's not ever what I've done. And if I'm helping somebody else, I can just see pain and I can see confusion. And because I've been through enough of it, I can take it apart into its pieces and tell you what matters and then let you move ahead. A different way I'd put it, if you see someone who's very spiritual, somebody else will explain the religion to them and they'll already be doing all those pieces, right? Or like if you inherently understand math, when someone brings you all the different equations, you'll be like, oh, I get it. And this is the language to like talk to society on. So I'm really shitty at this story because I've never had to market it. It's the thing that I've tried to like make money on. And maybe I don't like the current language about like how it's talked about. But so that's the background. I mean, that makes sense. But even just the fact that basically just paying it forward, you wish you had someone tell you these things when you were coming up, right? And I don't know. I mean, it sounds like to me kind of what I get out of this podcast, you know, if any one guest feels good about being able to influence or help someone else, and then we get like one person that reaches out, whether through us or directly to that guest, I feel like it's just an amazing feeling that we've done one thing good for this world, right? And you could be affecting someone's career, life trajectory. It's completely plausible. I would love that. I just don't know how to do it. So I guess that's what I need. But you're already doing it. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's just that maybe you don't feel like you don't want to call it out before it happens, or you don't want to perhaps oversell. But I'm just telling you that's what you're doing. So I see. Okay, so then I feel like when society asks me about what I'm quote unquote doing, it's asking me why I haven't turned it into a business. Because to your point, I 100% agree. I literally do this to everyone around me. That's what makes me happy in my life around my friends. Like, so that that's like really simple. <laughs> but that's part of the self-worth, right? The internal versus external. And if this is something that you're doing just because 
I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it's interesting to you, A, because you are a voracious learner and you like to figure out processes and optimize things. And in that, while you're helping someone else, you're probably refining a lot of your own skill set. And then at the same time, you're also affecting somebody to be better in whatever it is that they're doing. And so, yeah, I think you put a lot of pressure on yourself, maybe, or I think that read of, is this something either marketable or can it be a business? Does it have anything external in that sense? Honestly, that's why you don't talk about it, because that was never your goal to begin with. And I don't think that that's what you're asking for from the people that you're helping. And so even in this instance that we're talking about it, like, I don't think you should feel like that's kind of what the expectation is, both externally or internally. I think that's a nice frame shift to your point. So then if we're talking about, we started out calling it coaching, right? And so if it's, you're just helping your friends, I don't know, coaching is a strange term. And that's what I mean, like, I don't have the language for it. Okay, so going back to the original, before I cut you off, I'm sorry about that, but I just had to tell the story. You were saying that you were surrendering to coaching, but you felt like you were less ambitious and there was like certain things that you didn't resonate with. Could you expand on that? Yeah, I think Lee actually hit it on the head that it's how it's framed externally and also how I'm framing coaching right now. So I don't know how to name what I do because I just enjoy it. The examples of coaching that I see or I read about in terms of like turning coaching into a business it somehow doesn't, it feels dissonant to me. It doesn't feel natural to coach and charge somebody for it. I guess like that's one way that you could grow coaching, right? To turn it actually into a business. And I've actually tried different business, talked to different friends about different business models for coaching that would resonate more. So one example was investing, like buying equity in the people that you coach, right? And that was like an avenue I was exploring as well and have explored. But just basically, yes, an ideal world would be being paid to coach instead of or being like supplemented via coaching. And I haven't found a good path there that has like resonated with me. Why doesn't it resonate with you? I have too many (laughs) problems, mental blocks to moving ahead on it that I haven't run down. Mm. Either because I'm scared or I'm out of time. I'm honestly telling you that it's just a mental block. I believe you. Yeah, it's a mental block. There are a lot of people out there that would pay to basically solve whatever problem they have. And depending on the person, the amount of money that they have and the leverage that they have, they're willing to pay more, right? I think you're doing it, right? You're already doing it. And the more that you do it, the more people will trust you. And the more that they trust you, the more they're willing to pay. So I think you're doing it right. I think the surrendering thing is working. I think you're already serving and bringing value to other people. And I think over time, it'll turn into a business as long as you keep doing it. I think that's the surrender part. (laughs) And then maybe breaking it down with you guys more to figure out what piece to kind of accelerate on. Well, I think the main thing is you have to figure out who you're already helping and whether or not they have the budget. And then you just have to ask and more formalize it. That's really it is. I feel like as well, once you formalize it, then the other side, if they have the money, is willing to pay for it because that allows them use you in a way that they wouldn't have if they were just a friend. And so if you formalize it, it's actually a favor to them too. That is a helpful way to look at it. I will do that, right? So I've asked to, because I've been coaching your team, I'm starting to ask friends about there are opportunities to coach their teams on that front. Like that's very cut and dry to me. It's much easier to ask. It doesn't phase me whatsoever for some reason. So I guess to your point, I need to build the muscle of getting comfortable pitching like direct coaching services effectively. Yeah. I mean, the ones that you're already doing it, you have to determine whether or not 
if they are doing it because if they have the budget to pay you, the, the ones that do have the budget are going to be okay with paying you. And I think to Will's point, I mean, it's similar to getting like a physical trainer, right? You pay for it because it holds you accountable. Yeah, too. because if I had you training me and I didn't pay you, Andrew, then I would be afraid to ask you for help all the time. I just wait until you come to me and then it's like, hey, you're helping me. Okay, cool. Like we can do it once in a while. But if, if I was paying you, then I'd be like, okay, Andrew, you got to make sure that I'm... Yeah, like, you there's know, structure. Yeah. There's like accountability, all that. Hmm. And what would you guys call this? Coaching. I was going to sell this. So, I mean, Will, you've seen it. Versus like, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. It's coaching. It's called coaching. Just flat out coaching. Yeah. And would you call like one session a week and it's just flat out coaching to like help you get what you're looking for? How would you market it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. I'll test that. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mental, mental block. That's all it is. Because you have a product that's really good. It's just a mental block. All right. I'll make a list and I'll talk to you next time, Will, about that list. And I'll reach out and I'll ask. I'm into it. Amazing. I didn't know I was coming on to <laughs> get therapy and business advice. <laughs> I'm super into it. Let's do Lee next. Come on. <laughs> He's going to sing open. by a bell. <laughs> I'll be uh, one of your Tesla subjects until you figure a business model out. We should actually do an episode <laughs> with Andrew Cushing Lee. That's actually should be the next episode. Dude, that's deep, man. That's Can we do deep. that? Like, I'll sit on, I'll Dude. be a bystander, but I want to see it. Let me session. and Lee do, all right, this is first pitch. Lee, can I coach you for two weeks? And then if it goes well, we'll throw an episode on. Because then you can actually pick the topic, which is, well, I think what Kevin and basically that podcast you sent me where he records, I think they pick one topic that they're actually comfortable about, and that's what they cover. That way, Lee can actually pick the one topic that he's comfortable about, or one or two. <laughs> I mean, this could be a disaster. I mean, <laughs> well, we can do it in private first, and then we'll see how it goes. <laughs> doing it public, doing it live is pretty daunting, I would say. <laughs> Will goes first for the first 15 minutes, because we know well, he's, Will's too open. He's, He'll do anything. So <laughs> yeah, I'm down to go first. <laughs> all right, I will go first. <laughs> cool, cool. I'll deflect for now. <laughs> all right, well, you got to head out, right? Yeah, I do. I do. I have a little bit more, but yeah, anything else you guys want to hit on? But that was fun. Yeah, I think that's the episode. All right, thanks, guys. Cool. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It'll help more people like you find us. You can find more about us on wild.show, wld.show. Please subscribe to our newsletter or DM us on Twitter. We'd love to get to know you.